In many parts of the world today, uh, of course, there are Christians who suffer because of their willingness to openly follow Jesus. There are places in the world today where it's hard to get a job if you're a Christian, where people boycott your businesses if you are a Christian, where people are imprisoned. There are people in prison this morning because they are Christians. There's still parts of the world where people are executed because of their open willingness to follow Jesus. All those things were true in first century Jerusalem. It was hard to get a job. People boycotted their business. People were imprisoned. We know Stephen and probably others were stoned. And so they were suffering financially, not only physically, but they were suffering financially. And, and there were these other newer churches, of course. The Jerusalem church was the first one, but all across the Middle East and up into Asia Minor, up into Europe, Southern Europe, these churches had sprung up and they wanted to, they wanted to help the mother church. They wanted to contribute to an offering. And so the apostle or missionary Paul and others began to, to facilitate this offering that would be collected. It was a massive undertaking. This offering would be collected from all these churches and they would take the money to the Christians that were struggling in Jerusalem. And there was one church that stood out among all those churches that contributed. It was the Macedonian church, largely because they didn't, Paul didn't expect much from the Macedonian church. It was a young church, it hadn't been around long, and they were poor. But what the Macedonian churches gave became an inspiration and a model. So we're going to talk about that kind of generosity. Now, I know that this is an awkward time to talk about financial stewardship. Just Thursday, I saw uh, the results of the economic anxiety indicator. This is a poll that asks Americans how we're feeling about, our, about the economy, about our personal finances, and the economic anxiety indicator uh, said, the results said that one out of three people are losing sleep now, uh, worried about their personal finances. So this is an awkward time to talk about generosity. However, our, how we handle our finances is, um, is one of the most important aspects to Christian discipleship. In fact, Jesus talked more about our finances than any other element of spiritual discipline. So we're going to look to the, to the Macedonians and, and try to learn something. Number one, the Macedonians gave to the most important institution on the planet, the local church. Now, granted, there weren't all those others, the other social service agencies that we have today. There weren't all the wonderful parachurch uh, ministries that we have today. But still, the fact remains they gave uh, to the church. So let me talk about giving to the church for a moment. First of all, I want to say a sincere thank you to the people of FBC. Your giving has been phenomenal. It's been amazing. The fact that we would exceed our budget in such a year as 2020, we just finished that a couple of weeks ago, that fiscal year, is just outstanding. If Paul were alive today, I think he would write about the church here, not just the church in Macedonia. He'd say those folks who meet at Governor's Drive, despite the 
the pandemic, despite the fact that so many are not yet comfortable coming in person, they are giving so faithfully and I sincerely appreciate that. I also want you to know that your church is a good channel to a hurting world. When you give money to First Baptist, 88% of that goes, of course, to provide the the materials and the ministries and the facilities and the staff to fulfill our mission. But 12% goes beyond us to what we call missions. And you can designate whether that goes to Southern Baptist Missions, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Missions, or FBC, First Baptist Church Missions. And if you designate to FBC, then the Missions Committee oversees that money and it goes to things like uh, uh, Uganda, a missionary there, the missionaries that work with the refugees. We helped buy a van and a building there. Some of you are part of mobility worldwide, working through missionaries all over the world to provide carts to people who can't walk. Uh, We locally, things like our food ministry to Lakewood Elementary School. So I want you to know that, that your gifts to God through this church are a channel to the, to the world. So first, thank you. And second, you're really doing good things with your Money. Carrie and I are thrilled at where our money goes when we give through, through this church, and I hope you are too. Uh, the second thing is that Paul was real careful to make sure that everybody knew that the money was being handled carefully and with integrity. He wrote in chapter 8, verses 20 to 21, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we're taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of others. He also said in the first letter to the Corinthians that if he wrote to them, when you, when you contribute to this offering, if you want to send your own representatives to Jerusalem, then feel free to do that. He bent over backwards so that people would know that the, hand, the money was being handled properly. And we do Uh, two. Unfortunately, everybody doesn't. If you Google words like money, ministry, scandal, your heart will sink at, at the way sometimes people mishandle money given by godly people. Like the time we were living in Kentucky and, um, I saw on the, on the news, they, they were interviewing a pastor and I paid attention because I, I had sat next to him at, in a seminary class. And this was a pretty large church in the county where I served and um, they were interviewing it, viewing him. I don't even remember uh, what they were interviewing him about, but I noticed that in the background there were multiple computer screens on his desk. And I thought, well, that's That's interesting, why would he have multiple computer screens? But I didn't think anything more of it until it came out in the press and he was fired because he had been day trading with the money from the church. Now, he had access to the church's money, which is a terrible practice, and he was day trading, buying shares of stocks in the morning and selling in the hour. I don't know exactly how that works, but it, he had day traded and lost uh, 160,000 of the church's dollars. If, they, if he'd made 160,000, they wouldn't have fired him, I bet, but, they, but he didn't, he lost it. 
It's just crazy how, and so disappointing, sometimes the scandalous behavior that, or the way that people treat money that people give. But I guarantee you, ain't nobody day trading money from FBC Huntsville. Our church accountant is a CPA and she answers to the uh, Alabama State Board of Accountancy. Boy, doesn't that sound like a fun group, a wild and crazy bunch of folks, the Alabama State Board of Accountancy. And she'd get in big trouble with them if we, if we messed up, so she keeps us on a, a tight rein. We, we, have, uh, we have wonderful uh, internal controls that govern how we spend money, make sure it's, it's handled carefully. We have internal reviews that look back and make sure we did handle things carefully. Our treasurer and stewardship committee, keep a careful eye on the way money is used. Your staff is committed uh, to the faithful stewardship and ethical handling of your money. You, when you come to business meetings, get a detailed look at, at these spreadsheets and the finance reports so that even if somebody were to want to do something scandalous, they couldn't because it's just handled well. I, I think you would be... If you could even, I hope you already are, but I think if you could see everything that happens, you'd be really pleased with the integrity, the transparency and trustworthiness of, of this church. So they gave to the, the best institution on the planet, the church. They, they handled the offering well, but I want us to move quickly to the third point, and that is the, the generosity of these Macedonian Christians. Remember, they were, it was a young church. It was a poor church. But they gave more than everybody else. Not necessarily the amount they gave, but as in the widow's might, relatively speaking, they were the biggest givers. In the midst of a very severe trial, you heard this a moment ago. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Their, their, their financial managers were pulling their hair out when they saw what they were giving. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded. They practically begged with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Macedonians, these poor Christians who could barely rub two shekels together were begging, let us give to the mother church. Let us help them. They said, we give not because we've got to, but because we get to. We could learn a lot from Macedonians about generosity. In colonial days and in, uh, uh, even into the 1800s, lots of churches raised money by renting pews. That's how you would, you would support your church is you would rent your pew for a year. Now, if you think people get upset when you sit in their pew now, what if... What do you think they did? They show you their receipt. Excuse me, this is my pew. It really is my pew. Our son Landon is pastor of the Baptist Church of Beaufort over in South Carolina. Their sanctuary was built in 1844. And you can see where, when it was, they were originally built, the pews were only they'd be fairly short and there was a box around them. So a family would rent like a box. It's like having box seats at church and they would put a little something in the middle, you know, fueled by coal or wood so that they could heat their, their area. And that's how you would 
support the church as you would rent a pew. Landon, our son said uh, that they tell him that uh, there were different prices for pews. So the good pews uh, were more expensive than the bad pews. Now, I don't know which ones were the good pews and the bad ones, but it's a Baptist church. So my hunch is the good pews were where? In the back, exactly, exactly. But I'm not inviting you to rent a pew. I'm inviting you to life that is truly life. Listen to these powerful words. 1 Timothy 6, command those who are rich in this present world, and that's all of us, relatively speaking, not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. Command them to be generous and willing to share so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Jesus, who said, I've come that they might have life more abundantly, said more about money than he did about, anything other, about any other spiritual discipline. So let me talk, just in, heading toward home now, about generosity. First of all, I think generosity begins with a tithe, with a tenth of our earnings. If, you, if I'm having a hard financial time and you, you lend me $50, then when I get back on my feet, if I come back and I repay that $50, that's not generosity, that's responsibility. But if I repay your $50, and I bring along one of Carrie's chocolate chip cheesecakes. Now that is generosity. I believe generosity begins with that tenth of what God blesses us with income back to him. I also believe generosity requires a plan. Generosity is probably not going to be easy for a lot of us. Some of, somebody's sitting there thinking, Travis, I agree with everything you've said, but I don't know how to get there. Well, here are three things. Number one, generosity has to be learned. Now, God created us to be generous, but we have been conditioned by our consumeristic culture to accumulate cash and cars and capital and clothes and all those kind of things. So we have to relearn generosity. Number two, generosity requires a plan, like a budget. Some of us might have to simplify our lives in order to be generous, but you got to have a budget and the discipline to stick with it. Generosity is, has to be learned. Generosity requires a plan. And generosity might require incremental increases. Somebody's thinking, yeah, I'd love to be at a tithe, but we're so far from that. It, we, we can't just, it's just impractical to think about jumping to a tithe. You can, though, move incrementally toward that. 2% more this year than last and more next year than this and so on. Generosity has to be learned and it's going to require a plan from most of us and it might require from some of us incremental increases. I grew up down in Anniston in a little house on, two, on 30th Street, 200 East 30th Street. 
Uh, I knew we had a small house. I looked it up on Zillow. You know, you can look up anything there. It was 850 square feet. Uh, I looked it up on Google Earth. You know, you can see pictures of everything on Google Earth. And uh, I looked it up yesterday. They've added a little thing on the back, which gets it up to over 900 square feet now. But that, that we didn't have that. On Zillow, it says you could buy my house, the house I grew up in today, for $26,000. Most of you all spent twice that on your cars. You could buy the house I grew up in for $26,000. I didn't know it was such a little house until I got to Johnson Junior High and I fell into a group through sports uh, that lived on the other side of town. And when I went to their houses, I realized I was, I lived in a little house. They had big brick houses on the other side of town. I think I told you this once, uh, a lady came to our house and I still remember it, I was probably five, but she was talking to my parents about how I qualified for this wonderful preschool program at Noble Street Elementary School. I thought, and this is true, I thought it was because I was smart. I was grown before I realized it was because I was poor. That was why we qualified for that program. I qualified. But my mom and dad were generous. And my dad, I've told you before, I know I've told you this, had a sixth grade education, had a blue collar job out at Anniston Army Depot. I don't know how much he made, but he didn't make much. And my mom was a stay at home mom. But he, he had a great work ethic and he loved his family and he was very responsible. And my mom and dad tithed. They gave a tenth of his income to God through their church. And then they were generous beyond that. They helped, among other things, helped to support a missionary down in Curacao in the Caribbean. So my mom and dad didn't have much, but they were generous. Back to my house. I, um, I was ashamed of that house when I fell into this other group that had much bigger houses on the other side of town. I remember once a lady was giving me a ride home, uh, one of the moms giving me a ride home from practice and and I had her let me out two blocks from where I lived because I, I knew where she lived and her son, her family, and I didn't want them to see where I lived. So you can imagine how excited I was when I was in the eighth grade and my dad said, we're going to move to Saks. Some of you all know where Saks is. It's a community just outside Anniston. I was thrilled. I'm embarrassed to tell you why we were going to move. I was in the eighth grade. By the ninth grade, they were going to consolidate the white and black schools in Anniston, and that was why we were moving. That was not why I was excited, though. I was excited because we were going to move into a brick house. We had driven out there to see it. It was not a large house. It was three small bedrooms, but it was brick. And brick, to me, represented success. So you can imagine how heartbroken I was that night, and I remember it still. When Dad walked in and his heart was heavy, and he said, Travis, we're not going to get to move. Why? Because, and he explained it in a way that as an eighth grader, I couldn't, I couldn't get it, but I, get, I look back at now, now and I understand it. He, he said, if we, if we were to buy that house, we will live week to week. We will live on the edge of financial catastrophe. He said, if we were to buy that house and one little thing go wrong, we would be in trouble 
financially. And I look back now and I think about how my dad with a sixth grade education was a lot wiser than a lot of folks with a whole heap more education than he had. I learned two things from my parents. One is generosity requires discipline. We can't be generous if we're going to live on the edge financially. We have to be responsible. But I also learned that God provides. I got to go to Samford University. Now, to go to any college is not cheap, but to go to a private school with the money that, with our income, it's just, it's not practical. But God provided. I, I got my first week there. They, they called me to be the minister of music at Helena Baptist Church. And when they said they were going to pay me $85 a week, I felt guilty. Not so guilty that I didn't take it, but I felt, I felt guilty. <laughs> and then I got some scholarships and some grants. My mom and dad sacrificed so that I could go to college. And the money didn't fall out of the sky. And my mom and dad didn't get rich because of their generosity. But I always have believed that I had the gift of a Samford education because my mom and dad had been responsible and had been generous. It would be a bad motivation to give so that God will bless you with a lot of money. I know a lot of people who've been generous and never did get rich. But I'm inviting you not to rent a pew. And I'm inviting you not to get wealthy. I am, though, inviting you to life that is truly life. Tell them, God inspired Paul to write, those rich people, and all of us are, not to be greedy and not to depend on money, but to be generous and to enjoy life that is truly life. So I invite you unapologetically to be generous, to give not because you got to, but because you get to. In just a moment after we have a, some music to reflect, we'll have a prayer and then I'm gonna wait down front for those who might wanna talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Last week, wonderful young couple came to be part of our church family, and I'd invite you to talk about that. I'd love to talk with you about that. So I'll wait on you as others leave after our music and our prayer.